Why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. <laughs> All I need are some tasty waves, a cool buzz, and I'm fine. Hello, divers. Coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, amateur cheesemonger, and writer for Wings Chop Movie Magazine. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive Podcast, where myself and my co-host Manda look at the lesser-known, maybe obscure, and perhaps forgotten offerings available on streaming media services. For many fine folks, summertime means lots of fun outdoor activities. Whether you're cooling off in a tiny inflatable kiddie pool or hanging out at the beach, there's nothing better than dipping your toes into some cool, refreshing water. That is unless your aquatic tastes veer into the more adventurous. Today, on the Deep Dive Microcast, a brief history of the surf movie. So what is a surf movie exactly? Well, it can be a number of things. It can be a documentary about surfing. It can be a movie that has surfing as a major component of the film's narrative. Or it can be a silly teen comedy slash musical. But before we get into that whole thing, a little bit of a background. In very basic terms, surfing is an activity where a person rides a wave of water towards the shore while standing or lying on a surfboard. And while the origins of surfing go all the way back to at least the 4th century AD, modern surfing pretty much got its start in Hawaii. The first written accounts of surfing come from European explorers who witnessed the activity firsthand in the late 18th century. A hundred years after that, three Hawaiian princes enrolled at a boarding school in California and they began surfing off of Santa Cruz. And the sport just grew from there. Now, as a rule, if something becomes popular enough, others will find a way to exploit it. So it was with surfing and surf culture. By the end of the 1950s, the first wave of rock and roll music was in decline. The genre exploded in the mid-50s, much to the fear and loathing of parents everywhere. But the initial outcry against the so-called devil's music had waned. Early rock icons were losing their appeal. Also, Elvis joined the army, Little Richard retired and became a preacher, and Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, well, died. Just listen to the song American Pie for a rundown of that. Rock music had been co-opted by the mainstream. More parent-friendly talents like Fabian, Ricky Nelson, and Pat Boone replaced the more dangerous and sexually charged rock and rollers. So what does this have to do with surfing? Well, as rock and roll was fading, other genres tried to pick up the mantle as the favorite of the teenagers. One of those genres was the California sound, or surf rock. For a while, surf rock dominated the pop airwaves, propelled by a few notable artists. There was Dick Dale and his Deltones, the Trash Men, Jan and Dean, and of course, the Beach Boys. 
If you're not familiar with surf rock, the artists I just mentioned are a great place to start. The early surf rock records were guitar-heavy instrumentals meant to evoke the feeling of urgency and excitement of the surfing experience. The first example of the genre is usually attributed to Dick Dale's Let's Go Trippin', which I would play for you, except, you know, copyright stuff. The vocals came later, with groups like Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys, with lyrics and harmonies providing a glimpse into the California surfing lifestyle. As they say, though, seeing is believing, and before long, movies came to ride the wave of surf culture. It made sense, if for no other reason than sheer proximity. From the bright lights of Hollywood, it's a short drive down Santa Monica Boulevard to the beautiful blue Pacific Ocean. As I mentioned earlier, just like surf music, there are different kinds of surf movies. First were the documentaries. Americans got their first real glimpse into surf culture thanks to, oddly enough, a Massachusetts native named Bud Brown. Way back in 1931, Brown moved to Los Angeles to attend the University of Southern California, where he began swimming competitively. After serving in World War II, Brown returned to SoCal and became a lifeguard. He got the notion of filming the growing number of body surfers that were honing their skills on the waves. So Brown went back to USC in the early 1950s, but this time, as a film student. A veritable one-man band, Brown would shoot and edit the surfing scenes himself. Now, being a world-class swimmer would come in handy getting great ocean photography. Over the following decade, Brown would develop his own waterproof cameras and equipment to improve the quality of his films. Brown's innovations would inspire many other cinematographers trying to capture that perfect wave on film. Now another man, also named Brown, would build upon those innovations and create what many consider to be the quintessential surf documentary. The Endless Summer really stands heads and tails above any of the other hundreds of surfing films. It was completely earth-shattering. I think it's probably the greatest surf film. It was the film that lifted the veil on the mystery of what surfing was for people and exposed it to the world. It was amazing. It was everything that we thought surfing was and then more. I think you can talk to anybody in the world who watched Endless Summer and that movie impacted their life from there forward. Pretty much changed my entire life. Is this something you can do for a living? Can you have an Endless Summer in your life? It shows every surfer that you can have it in the summer. You can go and surf all the spots you want. There wasn't just waves in your backyard, right? There's waves all over the world. It blew my mind. Chasing warm weather around the world, looking for perfect surf. The dream of perfect waves was just mind-boggling. The Endless Summer inspired us to look for that perfect wave. They made me want to explore new cultures and places and waves. Just made me dream of like how beautiful the world is definitely inspired me to move around the world and want to be in and influenced by different cultures. I wanted to go to these obscure countries and experience the cultures and use surfing as the vehicle of doing so. The Endless Summer, produced and directed by Bruce Brown, no relation to Bud, followed two avid surfers on a global journey to find new 
and challenging surf spots, a quest for the perfect wave. It was released into theaters in the summer of 1966 and featured a soundtrack by surf rock band The Sandals. Critics praised the gorgeous cinematography and the sheer joy of the sport that the movie displayed. That film is now part of the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. But by the time The Endless Summer had its successful run in theaters, American audiences had grown somewhat bored. That's B-O-R-E-D, not B-O-A-R-D as in surfboard, uh, with the second kind of surf movie, the beach party film. Now, long before Disney brought the genre back from a watery grave with teen beach movie, kids went to the drive-ins to watch nice, clean-cut youngsters dance and surf while keeping their grubby hands to themselves. What in the world is a Gidget? It's a girl, a cuddling, befuddling teen, who set out to find her a man of her own and found seven. Seven young beachcombers with a single thought to enjoy life and love without working. Meet Kahuna, their leader, and Waikiki, Stinky, Lord Byron, Hotshot, Loverboy, who tried to live up to his name, and Moondoggy, who was quite a guy. There's no such thing as the next best thing to love. You'll get to meet them all when you see Columbia Pictures' Gidget, brought to the screen from the bestseller that proves a teenager can be delightfully juvenile without being delinquent. So if you want to find out why all the boys fidget over Gidget the way slightly older men fidget over Bridget, don't miss Gidget, filmed in CinemaScope and an eyeful of color. Gidget, the story of the beach generation. In 1959, Columbia Pictures unleashed Gidget upon an unsuspecting populace. A fluffy cotton candy confection of a movie, it featured perky Sandra D as teenager Francine Lawrence. While all her girlfriends are out chasing boys, Francine is chasing waves on the beach. Her male surfer friends call her Gidget, um, an unfortunate nickname combining the words girl and midget. Different times, kids. Well, the movie was popular with the intended audience and spawned several sequels and a television series starring Forrest Gump's mom, Sally Field. Capitalizing on the success of Gidget, other studios cranked out beach party films with titles like Surf Party, Ride the Wild Surf, and maybe the most famous of all, Beach Blanket Bingo. Bonnie, listen, I... You listen. Here we are, all alone, way up high. Just the two of us. <laughs> you don't get all your kicks from surfing, do you? Hey, you're doing all right. Yeah, so are you. You mean... Oh, lay off, will you? Edie, I love you. Don't you, I love you, me. 
That's the name of the game. Beach blanket, bingo. Beach blanket, bingo. Beach blanket, bingo. The 1965 film starring former Mickey Mouse Club Mouseketeer Annette Funicello and teen heartthrob Frankie Avalon is actually the fifth film in a series of beach party movies produced by American International Pictures. Believe it or not, there were a total of 12 movies in the series released between 1963 and 1967. Now, the movies were pretty cookie cutter, using the same formula over and over. Lots of bikinis, lots of music, lots of slapstick comedy, and not a whole lot of plot. By the end of the 60s, the genre pretty much ran its course. Frankie and Annette would actually return to their beach party characters decades later in the 1987 classic, Back to the Beach. Of course, there were films that featured surfing that weren't documentaries or goofy teen musicals, the world of surfing has provided a backdrop for a number of dramas as well. Ah, uh, yes, 1991's Point Break, the only film that gave moviegoers free mops to wipe up all the excess testosterone on the theater floors. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. He'll take you to the edge. Past it. This is going to be a great day, Johnny. The taxpayers of Lancet, Utah, they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babes, sir. Whoa! Now, some other less male-dominated examples include 2002's female-led film, Blue Crush. And there's also Soul Surfer, based on the inspiring true story of teenage surfer Bethany Hamilton and her struggle to return to the waves after losing an arm after a shark attack. Oh, yeah, uh, there's one other surf movie I wanted to to mention. Uh, it's not a documentary or a musical or even a drama per se. It's um, different, to say the least. Sometime in the near future, a major earthquake will lay waste to the entire California coastline. From out of the rubble will rise a menace far more terrifying than the death and destruction. Surf Nazis. Who rules the beaches? Who rules the surfers? The beautiful beaches, once the crown jewels of California, are now ruled by ruthless gangs. Only one person is powerful enough, daring enough, brave enough to stop them. Only one person can ensure that surf Nazis must die. She's tough. I want to buy a gun. You're talking like trash, but I'm a 
interested in something that'll take the head off a honky at 20 paces. She's dangerous. She's all woman. She's Leroy's mama. And as long as she's alive, the surf Nazis must die. First, there was the road warrior. Then there was the Terminator. Now comes an action film of relentless excitement. Taste some of mama's home cooking, Ada. See the film that is creating a tidal wave of action all over the world. See, surf Nazis must die. The classic 1987 epic, Surf Nazis Must Die, from the fine folks at Troma Entertainment, the studio that brought you The Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, and Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. Yes, here comes the time-honored tale of neo-Nazi surfers fighting a turf war in the aftermath of an apocalyptic earthquake. And yes, it's as awesome as it sounds. Most of the films mentioned in this episode are currently available on the major streaming services for rental or purchase. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. Now you can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the Deep Dive microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn and based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive microcast is a production of Automaton Studios. Mm-hmm.